about the different evidences that prove that the Spirit of God lives in the believer. This is real important, friend, because you can't fulfill Christ's command to make disciples until you become a disciple yourself. Right? You can't make one until you become one. It's very important. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called Castaway. Anybody ever see that movie, Castaway, with Tom Hanks? Love that movie. Well, for those of you that didn't see it, after his plane violently crashes into the ocean, Tom Hanks washes up on the shore of this uncharted island. And one of his first tasks that he's got to do is find something to eat and something to drink. And this is the first thing that he finds. Now, as I look at this fruit, there is nothing appetizing about it. Amen? It's hard. It's hairy. And nothing about this fruit looks good. But I like coconut. Amen? I like coconut, uh, but it's awfully hard to get to way up there in those trees. And it's very difficult to get to the fruit that's inside of this hard shell. It was funny watching Tom Hanks as he took this sharp stone and was trying to drill a hole in it to get to the sweet coconut milk that's inside. Listen. Y'all hear that? Barely. There's sweet coconut milk inside. But when he opened it up, he opened it up, all that work was worth it because he had some food that tasted good and he had some milk to satisfy his thirst. Today, we're talking about a fruit that may be very hard for you to get at. It may be very difficult, but the great thing about the fruit of self-control is is that once you get it, once you learn self-discipline, once you learn self-control, you'll find that it's very satisfying and it will bring wonderful blessings into your life. Now, the Living Bible in Galatians chapter 5, Paul begins to describe first, Some people that are out of control. They're out of control, but then at the end of this little passage, he talks about self-control. Listen to what the Living Bible says. People's desires make them give in to immoral ways, filthy thoughts, and shameful deeds. They worship idols. They practice witchcraft, they hate others, and they're hard to get along with. Those people become jealous and angry and selfish. They not only argue and cause trouble, but they are envious. They get drunk, carry on at wild parties, and do other evil things as well. But I told you before, and I'm telling you again, no one who practices these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom here or in heaven. 
For God's Spirit makes us loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, good, kind, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Because we belong to Jesus Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God's Spirit has given us life. Therefore, we should follow Him. Friend, let me tell you something. The moment that you begin to control your own passions and your own desires is the moment you can begin to enjoy victory over every other area of your life. But until you get a grip, until you get control of your own passions and desires, victory will always be elusive. The original Greek word in the Bible for this word self-control means to get a hold of. Have you ever wanted to grab a hold of your child and just shake them and say, don't you get it? Amen. It means get a hold of. Uh, another definition is to get a grip on. Well, today we're going to talk about getting a grip all right. We're going to talk about getting a grip on yourself getting a grip on yourself proverbs chapter 25 verse 28 says that a man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with a broken down wall interesting that pro proverb tells us that um, that a self-controlled life is pretty doggone important amen why is it important? It's important because the minute you lose control of yourself, you open up yourself to all kinds of attacks from the enemy. If you're not self-controlled, you are wide open to attacks from Satan. So, that being the case, I want it. Amen? I want to live a self-controlled life. I don't want to be uh, walking around with a target on my back for Satan to attack me. I want to live a self-controlled life. So to do that, we need to know that there are some prerequisites, some things that we need to do in order to live this kind of life. We need to know what the stipulations are for a self-controlled life. Now, if you, were, if you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to give you... A little passage of scripture that will help you to understand this fully. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 24. Y'all look up at me when you find it. Amen. Y'all getting close? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to know that Paul is writing to believers. Okay? It's just as if Paul was up here preaching to you. He's writing this letter to Christians, okay? Listen to what he says in verse 24. He writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? They all run, but one receives the prize. Therefore, run in such a way that you may be able to obtain it. Run in such a way that you will win. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. 
Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run this way, not with uncertainty. This is the way I fight, not as one that beats up the air. Amen? Is that crazy or what? But verse 27 says, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Stipulations for the self-controlled life. The first thing I want you to see is three requirements that I believe this passage shows us about living a self-controlled life. The first thing is, is a self-controlled life is lived with purpose. It is lived with purpose. Verse 24. Don't you know that everybody who runs in a race, they all run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you might obtain it. Run, in other words, with purpose. Now, I try, and I emphasize try, to keep my body in shape. And there is a purpose for that. My purpose is, is that I want to stay physically healthy so I can serve the Lord for a long time. Amen? I'm going to be here when I'm 100 years old and preaching the same word to you. All right? It might be ugly, but I'm still going to be here. Hallelujah. Amen? That's my purpose. I want to take care of my body so I can preach for a long time. However, that means that there are things that I must do that I really don't want to do. For instance, that means that I got to get up out of bed early in order to work out before my work day starts. I don't particularly care for that. That means that I'm going to have to get on that Stairmaster and sweat like a pig. Amen? I don't particularly like that. It means that I'm going to have to set aside this block of time to go to the gym and work out. I don't particularly like that. It means that I am going to have to sacrifice what I want to do so that I can stay in shape. But my purpose drives me to put forth the effort to stay in shape. Purpose is very important to the self-controlled life. Paul said that all who run the race run it to win. Amen? They're not running it for no reason. The purpose is they want to win. They want to win the race. He tells us that we should run this Christian life. We should run this race so that we might win, so that we might be successful. A life without purpose is a life out of control. You must have purpose. What's your purpose today? Is your purpose to honor the Lord in everything you do? Is that why you're running the race? This Christian race, so that you can honor the Lord and draw other people to Him by the way you're running your race? I hope so. But there's another requirement for the self controlled life, and that is this a self controlled life is lived with discipline. Listen to what he said there in verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That means I force it, I make it do what it doesn't want to do. I force it. I discipline it. See, most people are slaves to their body. Did you know that? Most people are slaves to their body. There have been times in my life when I didn't exercise, and when I wasn't exercising, 
My body said eat. And you know what I did? I ate. And I ate. And I ate. And I ate. My body was the master. Whatever it said eat, I ate. I did not have control over that. Paul says that he disciplines his body. He forces it to do what it don't want to do. He disciplines his body and he makes it a slave to him, not the other way around. Amen? He's not going to let the appetites of his flesh have a negative influence on his ministry. He will discipline his body. I remember, anybody here like Saturday Night Live back in the day? Amen? I love Saturday Night Live. Hilarious. Well, then y'all remember John Belushi, right? Well, he did this pretend commercial one time where he was sitting at the breakfast table and he's smoking a cigarette and he's eating these uh, chocolate donuts, right? And then uh, he says, um, you know, I, I won a gold medal in the, in the Olympics. And they start showing him uh, getting the gold medal for these Olympic races and everything that he's running. And then uh, they show him waving the American flag in victory. And uh, then he, they, he says, you know what? These chocolate donuts and these cigarettes, this is the breakfast of champions. Hey, man, I tried that stuff. That don't work. Amen? Uh, there ain't no way. Uh, but without discipline, you ain't going nowhere in life. Uh, you can't go anywhere. If you're not disciplined in your life, you're not going to set apart time for God. you got to be disciplined. You know what? You're, if you don't, you're not disciplined, you're not going to grow because you're not going to set time apart for God. Uh, if you're not disciplined, you're not going to keep your commitment to God. All you did was just spout off empty words. Hey, I'll do it. Count me in, everybody. Everybody see me? I'll do it. I'm going to do it. But then when it comes time to partake of the commitment, they're not disciplined enough to do it. You're, you're not going to be disciplined if you're not faithful to serve him. It's amazing how many people call themselves Christians, but they're not faithful to serve him. It amazes me. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to reach goals, and you have got to discipline your own body. I can't do it for you. So what's our goal? I want to honor my Lord in everything I do. Day in and day out, with the way I speak, with the way I act, with the attitude I keep, I want to honor the Lord. And you know what? Sometimes that takes some discipline. Because I may want to spout off somebody, something to somebody that it sounds ugly, but you know what? I discipline my mouth. Amen? And I don't say it. It's important to be that way. But let me give you another requirement of the self-controlled life, and that is this, submission. Listen to who Paul was submitting to in verse 27. He said, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, two people he's submitted to, he's preaching, so he's submitted to the Lord and preaching to others, so he's submitting to others as well. I myself should become disqualified. You see, the self-controlled life submits itself to somebody greater than self. Can I tell you this morning that all of y'all are far greater than me? And I will submit to you, I will self-control my life and give it to you because you are more important than me. The self-controlled life lives a life uh, in submission to someone greater than you, someone greater than yourself. So who's he talking about? Paul said he disciplined his body so he wouldn't be disqualified when he preached to others. You are to be subservient to others. 
You are to serve others. And by submitting to his life, to the lordship of Christ, he was also submitting his life to God. And he was able to, to influence countless other people. Why? Because he disciplined his body and he brought it into subjection so that when he preached to other people, he wouldn't be disqualified. He didn't want to be disqualified. He wanted to be qualified. And when people looked at him, they said, he's living the self-controlled life. Likewise, you've got a calling that's much the same. You've got a calling that uh, you ought to live your self-controlled life with a purpose. You ought to live it with discipline. And you ought to live it in submission to Christ and to other people. So what does it look like? What does this self-controlled life uh, look like? Let me give you a few signs of the self-controlled life. First of all, they act responsibly. They act with responsibility. You show me a person who disciplines his or her life, and I will show you a person who understands that they are the greatest problem they have in life. Show you a person who disciplines their life, and I will show you somebody who takes responsibility for their own actions. John Maxwell wrote this. He said, in reading about the lives of many great people, I found that the victory they won, first and foremost, was over themselves. Friend, before you can be a help to anybody else, you've got to have victory over yourself. There was a sign in an office that read this. If you could kick the person responsible for most of your troubles, you wouldn't be able to sit for a week. Think about it. We always want to blame somebody else. But if you, if you started kicking the person responsible for most of your troubles, you wouldn't be able to sit for a week. It's all about taking responsibility for your own actions. See, they're, they're responsible in many ways. They uh, are responsible for who they are. You need to be responsible for who you are. I want you to look at yourself right now. Look at yourself right now. Look at what you have become in life. Who are you? What have you become in life? I want to tell you, friend, you didn't get there by accident. You didn't get there by accident. You are today because of what you decided you would be yesterday. Amen? You will become tomorrow what you decide you'll be today. Are you willing to cause the change in your life today so that you'll be that person you want to be tomorrow? You've got to take responsibility for who you are. I read about a psychologist who did a survey of six hundred prison inmates and she said not one of them was guilty not one of the 600 inmates was guilty he she said i found the most innocent people on god's green earth were in prison amazing you know what the problem is don't you they all have the same problem they haven't taken responsibility for themselves Friend, the church is made up of a group of individuals. And you've got to take responsibility for yourself and live a self-controlled life. You've got to start with yourself. You know what? 
We, we find this not only in prison, but in everyday life. We find it in the church. We find it in families. People that are just not taking responsibility for their own selves. It always seems to be somebody else's fault. Know anybody like that? It's always somebody else's fault. Think about it. You can't even get saved. You can't even have a relationship with God until you admit, I'm a sinner. You can't go to heaven until you're willing to admit, I've done wrong. You can't even have this relationship with God until you say, I'm guilty. I'm the one to blame. I'm the one who deserves hell. I'm the guy. It's me. I'm taking responsibility for what I've done. So I want to encourage you to be responsible for who you are. But you need to be responsible for something else. You need to be responsible for what you can do. You see, we're not just responsible for who we are. We are responsible for what we become. You know, God gave me certain gifts, as limited as they may be. He gave me abilities. He gave me talents. He gave me opportunities. He's given me many privileges. And I'm responsible. I'm responsible to be that person that God intended and created me to become. So are you. Amen. He's overloaded you with gifts. He's overloaded you with opportunity and with privilege. Are you taking responsibility to be what God has created you to be? He didn't create you to just sit on the pew. He didn't create you to live on easy street. He didn't create you to kick back and just enjoy this life. No, he created you for a far greater purpose than that. Far greater indeed. He created you, and he has a potential that he has in mind for you. But it's your responsibility to reach that potential. It's your responsibility for who you become. But not only do self-disciplined people accept responsibility, there's another sign of the self-controlled life, and that is this. They welcome accountability. The great Greek uh, philosopher Plato said that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life ain't worth living. That's a southern Plato, amen? See, you show me a person that's living a self-controlled life. You show me that person who's living a self-disciplined life. And I'll show you a person who welcomes accountability. You show me somebody who's living a self-controlled life. And I'll show you somebody that welcomes other people coming in. You can come in and look at my life anytime you want. Because I'm striving to be self-controlled. I'm not scared. I ain't scared. Amen. Come in and take a look. Hold me accountable. Come on in. You can see everything I see. Self-disciplined people welcome accountability. But thirdly, people living a self-controlled life 
develop integrity. There were a survey of 1,300 account executives in America, and they were asked, what is the most important characteristic of an employee, in your opinion? Out of 17 choices, every single one of them chose integrity. Somebody tell me what integrity is. Hmm? Character? What is integrity? Who said that? Lori? That's the one I'm looking for. Who are you when nobody's looking? That's integrity. That's integrity. So we ought to demonstrate integrity every day, but how do we do it? I don't want to get into it in detail, but I want to give you five quick ways that you can demonstrate integrity. You're here today because you either are a Christian or you want to become a Christian. So the first thing is, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to practice what you preach. If you practice what you preach, you will develop integrity. Number two, do what you say you're going to do. That will develop integrity. Number three, be honest with other people. That will develop integrity. Number four, put what's best for other people ahead of what's best for you. That will develop integrity. And number five, be transparent and be real. Now, what in the world does that mean? Basically, that means that when I'm wrong, and I'm wrong sometimes, right, baby? It means when I'm wrong, how seldom it may be, I ask for forgiveness. When I'm wrong, I'm willing to ask for forgiveness. I know that I don't have to be a perfect pastor because I know that I'm not serving a perfect congregation. Can I get a testimony? We're all going the same direction. We're all trying to serve Jesus, right? Right? We're all trying to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Right? We're all trying to live up to our potential, live up to what God has created us to be. We're all trying to be the best people we can possibly be. So let's be real with each other. Let's let each other know what the challenges are that beset us and the difficulties we have. Let's be transparent and real. But you know what? Having integrity has a requirement of its own, several. It means that we got to get a grip. If you're going to have integrity, you got to get a grip on your life. If you're going to have integrity, you've got to submit to the lordship of Jesus. If you're going to have integrity, that means that you've got to align your life with the plumb line of this book. This is your standard. This is what you set your life according to. Not what the world says, not what culture says, not what the society says. You adjust your life according to what this book says. And you'll have integrity. It requires being self-controlled and then becoming God-controlled. Right? That's the whole goal. If I can control myself, it's real easy for God to control me then. 
man, that's my goal. I want to get to the point where God controls every microsecond of my life. From the minute I wake to the minute I go to sleep. That's my goal, amen? And I pray that's your goal too. So, that being the case, how in the world do I get started? How do I get started having this self-controlled life? Let me give you some starters. Some starters for the self-controlled life. First, start with yourself. Amen? Start with yourself. It's always easy to blame others for your failures. But most times, who's your worst enemy? We are. Amen? We're our own worst enemy, and here's the reason why. We neglected to put forth a little bit of effort. We neglected to put forth the effort to be self-controlled and successful. Let's start with ourselves. Jack Parr said, looking back, my life seems to be one long obstacle course with me being the single biggest obstacle. We are our own biggest obstacle. So don't start with your brother or sister. Don't start with your friends. Don't start with your husband or wife. Don't start with your neighbor or your mom or your dad. Don't start with your kids. Start with yourself. Living a self-controlled life. The great preacher D.L. Moody was asked of all the people you come into contact with and thousands of people came uh, to Christ through D.L. Moody's ministry. He said, of all the people you have come into contact with, he said, who do you have the most trouble with? And he said, D.L. Moody. I have the most trouble with myself. Amen? Can I tell you, I can agree with that. I understand that. I have no problem with you guys. My biggest problem is me in living a self-controlled life. So, start with yourself. Number two, this goes for those of you who have children or are raising children or no children. Start early. Start early. Self-discipline has to be the first lesson, not the last lesson. And the earlier, the better. Teach them self-control. Teach them self-discipline. I tell our CIA kids I don't know how many times. I wish I could save you. I wish your mama and your daddy could save you because I know they would. But you have to accept responsibility and come to Jesus yourself. And I don't mind telling that to preschoolers. I don't mind telling that to elementary students or senior high students. It matters not. We need to start early. Self-discipline helps young people reach their potential. And that's what we want for our kids, right? We want them to reach the greatest potential that God created them to have. So start early. Number three, start small. Amen? Start small. Uh, what you're going to be tomorrow is what you are becoming today. Did you get that? If you get changed a little bit this morning, you're going to be different come tomorrow. Right? Right? If you allow God's word to change you today, you're going to be different tomorrow. Amen? So we are becoming, or we're going to be tomorrow what we're becoming today. It is essential to begin developing self-discipline in some small way today. 
tomorrow will not do. You must start today. In order to be changed in a big way tomorrow, you've got to start in some small way today. So often we look at life and we think, man, I got to change. I got to change this. I got to change big. I got to change big. But I'm going to tell you, don't do something big. It'll overwhelm you. Don't start on something big. Start on something small. For instance, if you have determined that prayer to God, communicating with your Father in heaven is important, then why don't you say, you know what? I'm going to set my alarm clock five minutes early. And for five minutes before I start getting ready for work, it's going to be me and God. Small. Five minutes. When I first recommitted my life to the Lord, and I began walking with the Lord, and I began walking in close fellowship with the Lord, I had this unquenchable desire for the Word of God. I wanted to know everything that I could know. And so I immediately began getting up about 15 minutes early so I could read my daily bread. Just that little pamphlet. It took about 15 minutes for me to read that. And then after the course of about, I don't know, four or five months, it just somehow wasn't enough. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to get up 30 minutes early, and I'm going to spend some time with my daily bread and the Bible. And I'm going to look at them side by side. Before I knew it, I was getting up two hours earlier than I had to get just so that I could take care of what was very important to me, the Word of God. Start small. You know, I don't know how many times here lately it seems like we have been talking about offering, giving offerings to God. And people would say, Brother Billy, you don't get it. I can't make ends meet now. If I start giving to the church or giving offerings to the poor, I'm not going to be able to survive. Well, why don't you just start small? Five bucks. Start small. If five bucks is too much, one dollar. Less, less than what it costs to get you a cold drink. One dollar. And get in the habit of giving to the Lord. Give through his church. Give to the poor. I don't care. Just start giving of your money. Start giving of your finances. Start giving. It'll grow on its own, I assure you. It'll grow to where it needs to be in the tithe. But you've got to start. And I encourage you to start small. There's an old joke. How do you eat a crimson tide elephant? One bite at a time, amen? That's what gators do. One bite at a time. I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that would get a. Uh -huh. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you tackle the big issues in your life? Baby steps. One step at a time. Do what you can do today. Do what you can do today. Say, Brother Bill, I ain't got time. You got 15 minutes? Got 15 minutes to go visit somebody that's struggling? Why not take that 15 minutes and give it to the Lord? Just start. Amen. Just start. Number three.
Number four, not only do we start with ourselves and start early and start small, but we also ought to start strategically. Who here likes Winnie the Pooh? Amen. I like Winnie the Pooh, man. That's good stuff. Does anybody remember, remember, remember the name of the boy that owned Winnie the Pooh? Christopher. Y'all are after my own heart. That's awesome. Listen to what Christopher Robin said. He said, organizing is what you do before you do something so that when you do it, it ain't all mixed up. Is that profound or what? From Winnie the Pooh, y'all, for real? Organizing is what you do before you do something. Before you do something so that when you do it, it ain't all mixed up. We all ought to take a little a note from Winnie the Pooh there, from Christopher Robin. We all have areas that we need to get control over. Am I right or wrong? We all have areas that we need control over. So, what do you do? What do you do to get control over those areas? I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to make a list of three of your weaknesses. Men, if you have trouble with this, just ask your wife. She'll help you out. But only three, ladies, okay? Only three. Make a list of your three weakest areas. And of those areas, those three areas, which one of those areas is hurting you the most? Maybe it's prayer time. Maybe it's Bible study. Maybe it's offering. Of those three areas, those three weaknesses, which one's hurting you the most? Which one is really the one that's defeating you the most? Which is really the one that's keeping you from living a triumphant life? Once you identify that and you decide, then begin to work every day on that one area. Don't try to solve all your weaknesses at one time. You'll never do it. Pick one. One and one only. One area of weakness and work daily in that area. One step at a time and have somebody hold you accountable. Invite them in. Say, I want you to tell me if I'm not doing this. And I'm going to be forthcoming and honest with you. Tell me if I'm not doing this. And then get organized, just like Christopher Robin said. Get organized before you do it so it's not all mixed up when you try it. And get control of that one thing in your life one step at a time. I don't know what you're thinking about right now. I don't know what area of your life you're thinking about right now, but I know this. It can be accomplished if you'll do it, identify it, and do it one step at a time. Last one, last starter for living a self-controlled life, and that is start now. Right, Brett? Start now. John Hancock Field says that all worthwhile men have had good thoughts. They've had good ideas. They've had great intentions. But a precious few ever translate those into action. You see, the best time to get a, a control of your life is today, not tomorrow. Do it 
today, not tomorrow. I'm amazed at the people that are saying they're always going to do something someday. But they don't ever get around to it. It always remains far off someday. You know when I get all my good ideas? When I'm in the shower. Amen. Can't wait to get out of the shower so I can go write it down. If I don't write it down, I'll forget it. But I get all of my great ideas in the shower. Um, have you ever had a good idea in the shower? Raise your hand. One, ooh, a lot of good ideas. Well, maybe the rest of you just haven't had a good idea before, amen? Or maybe the rest of you haven't had a good shower, amen? <laughs> but for those of you who have had great ideas in the shower, when you finished, did you rush to write it down or did you let it go down the drain in the shower? Start now. Living a self controlled life. You know, it takes real commitment to live that kind of life. It takes real commitment for Jesus to live for Jesus and to be spiritually controlled. It takes a, a real commitment to become a disciple. But you ain't making no disciples until you become one. And self-control is one of those fruit of the Spirit that God says you must have. So take those starters to heart. Start today, not tomorrow. Start living the self-controlled life. You know, Jesus needs to be the very center of everything we do, not some afterthought. And that takes intention. That takes a deliberateness. We need to deliberately make Jesus the center of our lives. Friend, God wants you to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is good. Amen? Even weird looking ones like this. Fruit's good. It tastes good. It's good for you. But some of it's kind of hard to get. Amen? And you're going to have to be intentional and deliberate about getting it. God wants you to dive deep into that fruit bowl. He wants all the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in your life. You know why? Because you can't make a disciple until you become one. And you can't become one until the fruit of the Spirit has become transparent in your life. I pray you want to make disciples because that is what the Lord has commanded of all Christians. He's got a great deal in store for you. He's got a great deal in store for all of us. But it does take the fruit of the Spirit being revealed in our lives. Self-control is an awesome one. It's hard. Ain't nothing easy about it. But it will have awesome effects on your life that will translate into, into saved lives. It will translate into people coming to Jesus. Because your self-controlled life then becomes a testimony. But we need to know. We need this. We need this fruit of the Spirit because without it, without it, you can't be a testimony to the one and only sacrifice who gave his life for you. Without the Spirit, you can't have the Spirit without having that substitute, Jesus. You can't have the Spirit unless you've given your life to the Savior. You can't have the Spirit unless you've Submitted your 
been struggling and letting the, the Spirit reveal Himself through you in all these wonderful ways, I want you to know that today is the day you can start doing that. But I can't do it for you. You have to take responsibility yourself. It starts with you. It starts with you and your relationship with God. So if there's a decision made today, I just want to commend you for it. If there's a decision you're making for the Lord Jesus, I want you to come forward and allow me to show you what the Bible says about what it requires for someone to be saved and know that heaven is their home. Today's the day.